Hello there everybody and welcome to the Talking City podcast brought to you by the Manchester Evening News. My name is Dan Murphy and joining me today as ever is Mr Joe Bray. Joe, how is it going? Not too bad, thanks Dan. It's been a nice busy day watching City training and mm-hmm. now, now talking to you. Can't, can't get better than that, can it? Of course, we want to keep the days active, keep them different <laughs> and make them go so much quicker. And it's and gladly and thankfully we've got quite a lot to talk about because... As it's you know, I think in the years gone by, it's I think we we couldn't get called too much for saying City have gotten a bit boring, the relentless winning streaks they've gone on and whatnot. While the football, of course, has been beautiful and breathtaking at times, the the um, unstoppable machine can sometimes get a bit dull, but not the case this year by a long stretch. Because Saturday's match brought with it much drama, many talking points, and of course City. Fail to kind of go on another winning run. Of course, they drew 1-1 with Nottingham Forest um, in Nottingham. You were there, Joe. And the, I suppose the, the biggest question of all is how on God's green did City not win that game? Well, this is it. It's, it's one step forward with the win at Arsenal and then a step back with the uh, the draw at Not- Nottingham Forest. And it felt like a cup tie when sort of the, the arrivals and you... you we were watching the players walk into the ground and you've got Nottingham Forest fans shouting the names of City players and Jack Grealish stopped for, for autographs before the game and it felt like these Forest fans were just there to see their own team in the same stadium as one of the best teams in the world and their fans were up for it as you would expect and it was a good atmosphere but some of the chants were just a bit pantomime if you like you know booing Jack Grealish and you know having to go at Pep Guardiola's trainers and it felt like all City needed to do was just actually play football and get on the ball and a goal would silence them but it didn't happen well it, it happened in the sense that Bernardo Silva got a very very good goal um, lashed the ball over Kaylor Navas uh, to give City the lead um, and we it went in at half time and we were thinking it's 1-0 but it could be maybe 2 or 3 so City have got in behind so often but just haven't been able to get that sort of that cutting edge. And as the game wore on, City missed more chances. And honestly, if it, if it had finished 5-0, 5-1 to City, nobody would have batted an eyelid because they were that dominant. But the more chances they miss when Phil Foden goes through and falls over his own feet because he can't decide whether to shoot or play play in Erling Haaland, you start to think, well, you know, they've, you've got to start scoring one of these at, at some point. And when Erling Haaland blazed the ball over the bar, it... I mean, me and Simon turned to each other and said that was worse than his Community Shield miss where everybody blamed, uh, everyone said he wasn't going to cut it in England. You just sort of started to think maybe we shouldn't be writing what we're writing, which is City are doing well and they're going to win. Maybe we should temper it a bit. And true to true to what we feared uh, in the sense of having to rewrite our, our pieces, Nottingham Forest scored and uh, yeah, it was a good breakaway goal. It was onside despite a VAR check and when I say it was a cup tie at the start, it definitely felt like a, a, a cup tie at the end. There were fireworks going off. We could hear it outside the city ground and it was a, it, it was a, a very interesting game to watch and, and see. But yeah, as you said in the in the introduction, how City did not win that game is, is beyond anyone. Well, it was such a peculiar but yet oddly familiar game, I thought. To me, yeah. it kind of felt, why you say cup tie, it kind of had that inevitable feel of more the Champions League matches City have had in recent mm-hmm. years, those those shocking knockouts we've seen, you know, your Monaco's, your Leons and the like, when your City was so utterly dominant and in control and somehow throw it away. I don't think it was quite as self-destructive in the sense they didn't make, really make any defensive mistakes in this game. It was more just not finishing the chances. But that same sort of creeping feeling you couldn't shake, uh, as you say, around the maybe the 55th minute, the hour mark, when you could just feel, I think, Every fan watching, every person tweeting, me doing the blog, you doing your reports, I'm sure everyone just felt like, oh, it's going to be one of, I think the commentator was the exact same, like, oh, it's coming, you just know it is, it's all just <laughs> inevitable that the equaliser was going to come and it duly did. I mean, I, I say I was kind of keeping an eye on the stats during the game and in that first half, I, I want to say maybe at the 20 minute mark, maybe the halfway mark of the first half, 22 minutes or so, City literally had 91% possession at one point, <laughs> which is absolutely absurd. I think they ended the half with 86 in total. I think they actually ended the game with 73, which is still a ridiculously high number. Just kind of looking at the stats in general, you've got 23 shots to four, six on target, which is its own story, and we'll get on to 2 1, um, you know, more than double the amount of passes etc so it's the same old story and they just didn't kind of get the job done but you know I think we should maybe talk about the the little good 
that we did have first before we get on to all those, all those missed chances. And that is, at least the performance itself was good. It doesn't feel as much of a disaster, even though there was very missed chances. I know another assist for Jack Grealish, and as you say, a great goal for Bernardo. Yeah, and I mean, that's what Guardiola pointed to after the game. He was disappointed not to win the game, but when you create so many chances, it, it feels like quite an easy solution to fix. On another day, Erling Haaland will smash the ball into the back of the net from from five yards out and Phil Foden will find the back of the net. And yes, it's disappointing, but you can see very clearly where City went wrong. Um, and it feels like it shouldn't really happen again. And it's it's an easy solution to to solve. Yeah, Bernardo did his left-back role again where he was, it was a back three in possession. He was a midfielder out of possession. He was um, the left-back. Now at Arsenal, City had, was it 36% possession? One of the lowest, if not the lowest under, under Guardiola in the Premier League. So he, he did a lot of playing at left-back against a player like Bukayo Saka. But as you say, City had a lot more of the ball at Nottingham Forest. So he was essentially another midfielder. His, his goal was very good. He was involved quite a lot. Um, this was sort of the performance that I would expect City would want to play him in if they're going to do that sort of dual role as, as covering left-back but, but a midfielder when they expect to have a lot of the ball. But Nottingham Forest did get their goal on that side. They sort of exploited the weakness of, of having Bernardo as not a natural left-back. He spoke about that, didn't he? He said he's got a tune his brain so it's more defensive rather than attacking and it seemed like that was Nottingham Forest's game plan and uh, yeah it was really interesting to hear Steve Cooper talk after it. I think we'll touch on that later but um, in terms if we carry on with the positives um, yeah Jack Grealish good again uh, Phil Foden came back and created chance after chance if it wasn't for that sort of stutter in front of goal he would have probably been City's man of the match because he was so effective got in behind Ren and Lodi so often um Guardiola said after the game that he's lacking a bit of composure, a bit of pause or a bit of rhythm, which is understandable because he's not he's not played for seven games or he's only come off the bench in the last couple. So, yeah, having Foden back, having pretty much everybody back from the World Cup in in some sort of form has to be a positive. And, yeah, if, if you're going to drop points, that's kind of the way you want to do it, I think, because the chances were there, the performances were there. And nine times out of ten, you're going to win that game comfortably. Mm. I think, as we kind of touched on last week in the kind of preview in this match, Forest have kind of made a real fortress of the city ground. I think it's now mm-hmm. eight games without defeat there. And yeah. that, you know, I think you've pointed out the Chelsea didn't win there, Tottenham didn't win there. Was it like Everton, West Ham, I think, as well? Um, Liverpool, of course, haven't won there. So it's by no means been, especially after the first couple of months of the season, it's not been an easy place for any team to go. And the fact that City could have won and could have won so comfortably, obviously... Is annoying, is grating, is a big missed opportunity, which we'll kind of touch on. But it, on the grand scheme of things, it isn't a total disaster. But, you know, we have to kind of do look at those um, those missed chances. I mean, the first half, it felt more of a typical City display where they've got all the ball and not really fashioning many openings. I think they only had the one for well, the first of Rodri's free headers that he kind of put wide after a good um, De Bruyne ball. But otherwise, they, they weren't making an awful lot of, um, kind of real clear-cut opportunities in the first half. I think Haaland may have had one. Otherwise, it took um, you know Bernardo whacking one in from twenty yards out, twenty yards out, and what you know what a great goal it was—a real, almost kind of strange how he deceived Navas in a way. He kind of like went; it, it felt like it was kind of it going down his kind of throat sort of thing, and then just spooned up. So it was a really great goal to deceive a goalkeeper that great. And as as I pointed out before the game on Twitter, I believe three of Forest back five played against City in the Champions League last season. You know, with Felipe and Lodi from Atletico Madrid and obviously Navas at PSG. So there's a lot of calibre there in that Forest back line. But then, you know, in the second half, City did start cutting them open. They made lots of chances. And as you say, the Foden one was kind of horrible because Gundogan put it through so perfectly with that awesomely weighted ball and he just kind of got caught between two minds. It was almost as if, I know I should pass to Haaland here, this is what Haaland's here for to stick it in, but also I can shoot and then he just got stuck. I think he had like one dodgy touch, kind of came off his shin a little bit and you know, he managed to get a defender back. But aside from that, you got Laporte heading the ball of all places right into Kayla Navis's gonads. What a save that was, but I think he was a little bit worse for wear after it. Another free header from Rodri, De Bruyne dragged a few shots wide and then of course the kind of the, the, the day of both chances, of all his missed chances was Erling Haaland who in quick success Session, miss, you know, hit the crossbar from one rebound, and then somehow after taking a touch, absolutely skied it from around six yards out. 
you can almost I kind of think I'm actually a bit sympathetic now I've seen it in obviously I couldn't see it in 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 action um with this game not being on telly but since I haven't seen it since I kind of have a little bit more sympathy it wasn't quite the open net I was picturing from what I described I know it's he should score don't get me don't get me blooming wrong like he he should be eating them all day for his breakfast but to sky it over uh, I think it was kind of like there was defender on him leaning back comes at him quick kind of has to take an awkward touch on his kind of his pelvis, I can kind of be a bit more forgiving of it, but of course he should absolutely be scoring that, and I think that that was the moment when we all thought, well, this is this is only going in one, di- one direction now. Well, it, it came after, two minutes after Haaland was through on goal, and he was played through, he got uh, the other side of Joe Worrell, and you thought, right, he's going to, he's, if he doesn't score, he'll at least find the target, because obviously Kaylor Navas is a good, a good goalkeeper, and he throws himself to the ground and yes, there's a, a little tug on the shoulder from Worrell, but I don't think it's enough for him to go down. He was screaming for a penalty. Guardiola's running on the pitch and, and then into the face of the uh, the fourth official to, to earn himself a booking. But I think the referee's got it spot on because it wasn't enough to bring him down. He he should have had a shot and he could have put City ahead and then two minutes later he's he's got that shot that, you know, Phil Foden has a has an effort, Navas spills it. Um, the first one hits the bar. It's a bit unlucky in the second one. I'm, I'm going to disagree with you a bit. Just just because of the high standards that Haaland has set himself, he can score those and he knows how to finish under pressure. And the fact that he's taken a touch, I think he he's, I mean, he's got to be finding the target again. And yeah, I, I think those two minutes were the, were the moment where you realise it's it's not happening for City today, is it? I, I think he snatched it a bit. I think I think yeah. in, if he had that chance again, I don't think he'd have kind of whacked it in for the top corner. Yeah. I know the, the kind of goal, his kind of route to goal was a bit crowded, I think. There was like three players mm-hmm. around him and it felt like he felt he needed to kind of loft it into like the top corner. Kind of a similar area to where Bernardo put his. But I think if he was if he was a bit more composed, if the game wasn't in the situation it was and he had a bit more, like a, a fraction more time, I, I have a feeling he might have tried dummying it and kind of acting like he was going to absolutely smash it and then place it in a bottom corner sort of thing. It just felt like he, he snatched it sort of thing. And I was like, a striker of that calibre, who we know how good he is, you want him to be scoring those in that moment and I'm not saying absolutely anything else, but I can just... I can understand it a little bit more, but it's like they, they say you, you kind of bring up the kind of the penalty incident there. Obviously, I was listening to this on radio commentary, and the the commentator, I think Alistair Mann, did believe that the referee was actually going over to VAR as he was marching over to Pep Guardiola to um, mm-hmm. offer that booking. And it's like it's, it's, it felt like it was going to be given, but I believe the commentator said it was actually technically not actually in the box, and that's why the VAR couldn't even go back to theoretically if he had dragged him down, give him. I don't know if it was or if it wasn't, but. Because it was out the box, he couldn't go back anyway to maybe give a red card if he's brought him down and he's going through. Potentially, and, and Guardiola's argument after the game, he, he accepted that the booking was absolutely fair, and it, it was because he he was shouting in everybody's face. But Guardiola said, "Why would Haaland go down in that situation?" And I understand that, but I just think Haaland was looking for that contact. I, he felt it, and he thought, "I'll go down." And I don't, I don't know. Like Haaland's a confident guy. He scored a lot of goals. Surely he's he's confident enough to to go on and and have a have a shot on that that effort. But whether that was playing on his mind a couple of minutes later with with those uh, those rebounds, whether he was trying to smash something in the back of the net with a bit of frustration in his mind, I've I've got no idea. But um, I don't think it's it's going to be a, a lasting a lasting mm. issue with Erling Haaland if if he goes and scores a hat trick against RB Leipzig. No one's going to be surprised, are they? Mm-hmm. Well, I suppose the biggest thing, the biggest positive from the match is that we're not coming out of it having the same old tide debate about, oh, does Haaland make City worse or whatever. That hasn't even come up at all because he was mm-hmm. so involved. He had good chances. He was there on hand if Foden had passed it a little bit sooner. He was, he was, you know, he was going through on Worrell, giving him a nightmare. He had the two great chances. He was a lot. More, he was active. He was involved in the game. So it's not as if we're coming out of the match again thinking, Blimenek, we need to solve this issue because Haaland isn't getting the ball. Similar to the the previous games, the Villa and the Arsenal match, he was involved. He was in the game. He just it, this felt like it's annoying in the grand scheme of things, as we'll get onto about them not being able to get gain that momentum. As Sai was saying last week, they're not being able to get these ten, twelve, fifteen game winning streaks on. But it felt more like this time it was one of those things, kind of like the Spurs match where Spurs is just a curse. It was an aberration rather than a trend of City playing poorly and not being themselves. 
Yeah, I mean, you look at the reaction of the players, like Kyle Walker came off and said it was unacceptable and we've got to be beating teams like this, and that is absolutely true. But if you look at the game in isolation, then you can see exactly where it's gone wrong. City had more than enough chances to win the game. The The finishing was, for some reason, collectively off radar, and Nottingham Forest game plan was, was brilliant. Steve Cooper said after the game that they had to sort of sacrifice how they usually play place a lot of players back in, in defence, sort of condense the middle area and when they do break, break on, on their right and City's left and I think Match of the Day showed that that heat map which basically had the majority of, of Nottingham Forest's sort of movement in their own box and then one little bit on their right-hand side and that's how that's how the goal came about and it, it shows that they targeted Bernardo Silva. The goals, when you look at it back, it was a really good goal. They built from the back. They they moved it over to the left-hand side. Apparently, every single uh, Nottingham Forest player touched the ball in the move. They Then they did what City do to so many teams, which is create the overload on one side, move it over to, to the right. Bernardo rushes out. He's played past easily. Amerik Laporte tries to cover. He's played a one-two around. Rodri then comes to cover. And by that time, Morgan Gibbs-White is in the area and, and squaring it to, to Chris Woods. So... I think you've just got to put it down to an off day for City and the opposition had a pretty good game plan, got a bit of luck, got a lot of luck with the uh, with the missed chances and just move on. Um, I did write this week about when we're talking about, about Haaland is that yes, he, he missed, yes, he will go on and, and score a lot of goals, but there's a little bit of a trend creeping in that when Haaland plays and doesn't score for City... City don't score and they struggle to win. So when Haaland scores, City have never lost. They've got like an 84% win rate, as you would expect. And their goals per game is about 3.2. Now Haaland scores most of those because he scores a lot of goals. But when Haaland plays and doesn't score, like he did in this game and a couple of others, City don't really have a plan B. They don't have another one. The the goals per game is about 1.1. So they're only scoring once per game when Haaland's there and, and other players are having to sort of pick up that slack if he's if he's just not on it. Um, and the win percentage, I think, is just 33%, which is a little bit concerning. Now, when Haaland doesn't play, City's win percentage shoots back up to 80%. So they, they know how to play without him when he's not there, but when he's there and it's not working, and um, Nottingham Forest game is such a... Uh, it sums up this, this sort of conundrum in one. They've not really got an ability to find those goals elsewhere. Now, that will come. He's only been there, what, seven months, eight months? So that that will come where where those other goals will will sort of flow from other areas of the pitch. But um, I was a bit sort of taken aback when I looked at those stats and just how just how striking it is that when Haaland doesn't score, neither does City. That is quite interesting, actually. I didn't think about it because the first thing I kind of went to was like that Bournemouth game, which he didn't score in, but set one mm-hmm. up and was like, brilliant, yeah. and they won 4-0. I know that's against Bournemouth. But I, I never really considered that. But I can think. I'm going to. You say that there's no plan B. Then I go and I go back to the Arsenal game where he didn't score until the third goal, and then as you know, it might have, it might have been different had he not scored, etc. But they were already winning two one without him scoring. So I wonder if mm-hmm. the numbers maybe obviously squiffed a little bit because of that. You know, as Absolutely. I say, Haaland might not have scored, and then Arsenal might have equalised. So obviously it was important he scored. I'm not saying that, but like the plan B thing. I was trying. I was kind of as you said that. I was kind of like thinking about. It, it's like. Last season on the Super Bowl, they were all, it's kind of what they've always been called for, not having a plan B. Like Even when they didn't... Mm-hmm. The point was when they didn't have a striker was, oh, they don't have a plan B, they can't have anyone they can just kick it up to, as as if, as if Cardiola would ever kind of endorse that. Um, mm-hmm. So that kind of... To that sort of uh, um, simplicity. Um, they've never... When they had, you know, the false nines there, that was kind of the... Guardiola tends to stick to a... Um, he picks his formation for the game and he tends to stick to it. But then I was thinking, the Arsenal game, he actually switched it, didn't he? He brought a Kanji on for Mares, and that's what kind of changed the game completely into City's favour. So I do think it's it's interesting. I can understand how it can be a concern, um, especially you know, if he's not scoring. And we'll see more in these as the games start to get more important. I wonder if it's more of a psychological thing of... Oh, if he's not doing it, I think Barcelona kind of had the same thing at times, like because they've now got like a focal point and a talisman, which they've never had before, it's like to this degree. You can kind of look to him to do something, and you try and, and if he's not, you kind of it's easy for players. I'm not saying City could do this, 
But it can be easy for some players to give all responsibility to the star man, and if he's the one who doesn't perform, as as we've seen, all the kind of blame tends to land on their shoulders. And I'm not saying City themselves, are, you know, are, are doing that, but I think it's like an almost a subconscious thing that happens. Barcelona used to do it all the time in their kind of rough patch a few years ago when it was just Messi basically dragging them through. That's what they do; they just give it to him, and he obviously would do absolutely something. Um, just outlandish and they'd win but when he doesn't they've kind of have nothing else and I can see how that maybe not tactically because I think Guardiola has shown there's a plan B there and as you say, rightly say there when he's not been playing this year and he's been injured they've been nice to cope without him because they've coped without a main striker for the last two years anyway but I do wonder if it's like a psychological thing where they think oh if he can't even score them how am I going to score them sort of thing and then maybe that's maybe that's how it'll work in like kind of a one-off instance like this one where it just felt I think everyone felt and if we're all feeling it I imagine the players on the pitch felt the exact same way where it's just like oh blimmin' we're again mm-hmm. we're just not going to sc- obviously they'd already scored but we're, not, we're just not going to get that decisive goal today Yeah it's one of those the stats don't look good but then you could probably look at all those games where he hasn't scored like we've been talking about the Forest game City should have been out of sight City should have added three or four goals to that that tally without Haaland as you say the Arsenal game yeah, on, on sort of the other side of the stats also shows that City are fine without him and yeah it's it's one of those sort of metrics that will be used by people who have a sort of preconceived argument which is City are worse with Haaland but it, it does feel like the yeah, it might be a mentality thing, exactly like you say, where if if Haaland isn't sort of on form or firing, then things things sort of seep through to other players. But yeah, I I, I don't have an answer. I, I just looked at those stats. And I thought that's that's quite interesting. No, it definitely is, and it, and it could be a problem. Again, I think it's more on to watch how it kind of plays out because I could see mm-hmm. it being a problem in these big Champions League games that we're going to get. Obviously, we'll talk about the Champions League coming back soon. Presuming City get past Leipzig, the not to dismiss Leipzig at all, at all. They've got a lot of good players, but when you get your Madrids or your, I nearly said Barcelona, then, but of course they're not in it. Mm-hmm. But when you get your Bayerns or your PSGs or your or your um, Real Madrids and Liverpools and whatnot, the pressure is so much more intense. The kind of missed chances can have a real, even more of a knock-on effect. And I do wonder if it will come into play a bit more where if Haaland's having an off day in a match like that, which obviously would bring a whole, open a whole other kind of worms considering <laughs> that was the reason he was bought, etc. and so on. I could see it maybe affecting the team in that way, but I'm not sure if it is. I think the debate was more pertinent. Like, you know, we, we've called it a tied debate and a boring debate, but I think it was kind of an honest one and a needing one after like that Tottenham game when he barely touched the ball. I think he, what, he literally didn't touch it in the box, did he? And he didn't have a touch and like 23 touches at all game. I think, I think it was the United match that they lost. He had 23 touches when in the United game at Old Trafford last season, which City won 2-0, but they absolutely dominated them. And it was almost as if they took pity on them to not win by four or five. I think that the player who, the least, the player with the least touches in that game was 70. So it's clear that there was an issue of, Guardiola wanting control of the game and he needed 11 players to be on the ball to do that and if Haaland isn't on the ball as much because and it's not to say he's a Neanderthal who can't trap a ball and make a nice pass that's obviously not the case whatsoever but if he's not on the ball as much because he's not coming deep for the ball he's always trying to make these runs City are trying to do what they did so well last year in controlling games with one less player and obviously that's a lot more difficult so I do think it was a honest debate but it seems to me even though they've drawn this one and you know, form still might be a bit ropey. I do feel like the 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 question of Haaland being involved and how to best utilise him has been addressed somewhat. And City, even though they've dropped points, they were really you know they were good. And any other day, they they win by six. Like it was, it was it felt like one of those. I say it felt like one of those rather than a a crisis point. Yeah, and that's why Guardiola was so calm after the game. And as we've said, if if City are creating chances, he's not as bothered, and he accepts that. That can happen in football. Um, I also think with Haaland, he had probably had his best all-round game at Arsenal only a couple of days before. He was involved in the build-up. He scored a goal. He was stretching the defence out. Um, I think Felipe, the um, the Forest defender, who is another one who shouldn't be at Nottingham Forest with all respect to them, um, he was saying that he basically went man-to-man on Haaland and didn't, didn't give him a, a second all-game. And you saw that because he kept having to come wide to the left-back area to try and uh, to try and get the ball and, and that moved him out of the box and maybe he was getting frustrated for that. You've, you've got to look at each game in isolation to, to wonder why he's he's not scoring. It, it 
probably was just one of those days where he wasn't going to score and he'll go to he'll go back to Germany this week and uh, probably put in one of his better performances again and we'll, we'll forget all about it. And yeah, and yeah, let's be honest, like any other striker doesn't score in one game, we're not having these massive kind of autopsies on why he's not done yeah. it. It's just because his standards are so incredibly high that any slight aberration or slight dip below that standard is seen as something that needs investigating when it's simply not the case. I don't think we ever went into matches um, years ago when Aguero might not have scored and Aguero probably went three or four, five, six, however many matches without scoring. But his, and Aguero was a world-class elite level striker. <laughs> but he's just, the numbers on Haaland are just on another level, almost like the Messi and kind of Ronaldo scale where they broke the scale so anything else that is really, really amazing, just doesn't seem as good. So when Haaland just has the temerity to miss one absolute sitter and just not get on the score sheet once, it feels like there needs to be some great, grander kind of discussion about it. But the fact is, you know, everyone has slightly off days. And he'll, as you say, Wednesday, he'll probably go and bang free in and get us all shut up again and we'll be marvelling about his <laughs> excellence, you know. He's still got 14 games to break that record. I'd be flabbergasted if he didn't do it. So only time will tell. But, you know... Let's talk about that equalising goal, as you say, Chris Wood at the back post. You you wrote an interesting piece about it, kind of comparing it to how it's a goal City would be really proud of, almost a trademark City goal, of anything. Yeah, as I said before, it was it was a, sort of a flowing move, a 20-odd pass move, created an overload and then sort of ruthlessly, ruthlessly picked off City's weakness. And it came from the game plan that Steve Cooper was talking about. He said that he was uh, he targeted the left area he didn't name Bernardo in particular but the fact that Bernardo was going backwards and forwards between that left back area he, it, there was space there and, and because it's not a, a completely ingrained tactic yet it is still a bit new then it seemed like not only Bernardo but Laporte and, and Rodri also were a little bit unsure of what to do um, and yeah that that's what happens when when you have a when you miss all your chances that that, that one shot on target can can prove costly and in light of that I saw quite a few tweets blaming Edison just that he conceded another shot on target on his only shot on target and it had cost City now Edison couldn't have done anything about that goal and a stat that I keep seeing is that he's um, he's conceded his last four shots on target in, or the first shot on target in the last four games one of those was a penalty one of those was a one-on-one that should never have got to him because I think Bernardo gave the ball away in midfield. And I can't remember the other one, but it, it, it also wasn't his fault. It was the Harry Kane one at, at Tottenham where another mistake got Harry Kane in front of goal and no one was stopping Harry Kane from, from breaking that record. So I, I, I didn't really buy that. But when I asked the question on Twitter about, about Edison, I think it's just gone under my radar, but it seems like there's a lot of strongly held opinions about his... Um, his shot, st- shot stopping ability and and most of the time the fact that it's becoming an increasing trend that, that when City do miss these opportunities and the opposition has one shot on target it is going in and it's proving costly so it seems like there's a a bit of a bit of uh, simmering unhappiness with Edison and uh, you know different stats have been pointed out he's, he's got the second lowest save percentage even though he's faced the lowest shots of the league that's not great. I, th- I don't think uh, we, anyone can argue with that. I, th- I think some of the stats aren't great, but personally, when you look at what he brings to the team, the build-up, he, he saves far more goals than, than he will let in. Yeah, that's that's what I was going to say. Now, you can't... I think some of the, as you say, the, the goals you see in the recent games and stuff, you can't just take those numbers and be mm-hmm. like, he's clearly rubbish. I mean, as you say, he couldn't do nothing, unless you want him to be Stretch Armstrong and get from mm-hmm. one side of post to other in a millisecond. There's nothing he can do about the Forest equaliser. Penalty, here or there, you know, mistakes that have cost him, like the Rash, um, not the Fernandez one, I should say, against United when I go to, like, you know, we defended him to the hilt because he was set for Rashford to score, etc. and so on. Like, I think off the top of my head, I can't remember mistakes he's made off the top of my head in saving shots but I actually think more of mistakes he's made in recent time he's coming out of his goal too quickly mm-hmm. and nearly getting caught out not actually conceded from it yet I don't think kind or of giving the ball rushing, away or giving the ball away yeah. but that's what happens You every outfielder loses the ball every now and then and when Edison's basically playing as an outfielder he's going to lose the ball every now and then it's the, the risk and I think Guardiola said umpteenth times it's the risk we know it's a risk because he, he has done it before in seasons gone by and stuff and Guardiola's always said this is how we play mistakes happen 
we know Eddie's quality. He's made a mistake there. We're not going to blame him for it. We move on, etc. So on. Like it, it, but it does baffle me. Maybe he's never been. Maybe he's not the best shot stopper. I still think he's pretty, pretty bloody good. But you can't argue that the stats of him being the lowest with the lowest shots. Maybe you know you can't really argue too much with that. You maybe have to look at it and be like, maybe he needs to do a bit of work on his concentration. Which seems like I think there's mm-hmm. the different goalkeepers where a goalkeeper or a lower league club. Um, I was going to say Nick Pope, then probably a bad example in recent times. But you know you can be at Burnley, let's say, and you face loads of shots and you look really good. But then, then you take Nick Pope and put him into the England team, and he doesn't look as good because he hasn't got. He's as active as often, and he's got to be on the ball. He's probably not as good on the ball, and he's been brilliant for Newcastle, um, sending off at the weekend aside. Um, he's been really good. Not that's not to disparage Pope um, precisely, but just that example. It's different goalkeepers. You know, it's just not one. It's just not a one size fits all thing. You've, you've got different goalkeepers for different clubs. I don't think, as an example, I don't think maybe if you put Edison in Burnley and or. Nottingham Forest I who are conceding <laughs> well if you put him in Nottingham Forest who are conceding 26 shots maybe he doesn't make all the saves but as you just rightly said this it's not as if every save he makes can be counted as a save because it's not technically a shot on him the way City can play so higher up because they can rely on him to be the best of the last line of defence, 18, 20, 30 yards from his goal. They can push so much higher. The way he kind of anticipates danger, I know I kind of complained him for sometimes. He does make mistakes running out a bit harshly, a bit rashly. But most of the time he gets it bob on and cuts out danger before it even kind of um, really becomes an actual danger. Like, that's the risk you play. And it maybe, you know, City fans obviously have watched him week in, week out more than me, probably see a bit more mistakes and probably a bit more, um, you know, resentment. But I don't find, I don't tell me who you replace him with if that's the issue because I don't know another keeper on planet Earth as good. Maybe Andre Terstegen, but he's not leaving anytime soon. Noya, not leaving anytime soon. You're talking the absolute pinnacle of goalkeepers who are even remotely as close at doing what Edison can do. And yeah, I don't know. Just chill, chill out a little bit, I think, because he's pretty, pretty good, I think. I, the impression I got, and I got a lot of replies, and it was really interesting when I, I threw it out to Twitter, and um, it seems like, on one hand, it's a bit of a worry that he makes some sort of rash mistakes or he doesn't always create the big saves and the Champions League is coming up. You can get away with it over the course of a Premier League season, but in individual games like the Champions League, you need him to make you need your goalkeeper to make big saves. And it, it was pointed out a few times that both De Gea and Alisson at the weekend made match-winning saves for their sides while the game was still level. And then their side went on to win the game. I think it's levelled at Edison that he doesn't always create those sort of big sort of hero saves. But again, I would I would argue that his, his sort of contribution to the build-up and his calmness under pressure sort of offsets that. And he made the mistake against uh, Tottenham earlier in the home game last month and he said I'm sorry but I'm going to continue playing as I am because no risk no reward and I think that's that's the attitude of of Guardiola as well who's called him a um, a perfect goalkeeper and mm-hmm. now there's a lot of there's a lot of um people calling for Stefan Ortega to get a shot uh, a go he that the performance against Chelsea in the league cup was one of the best goalkeeping performances I've seen in a long time and I think that has been seen at the Etihad in a long time but then at Southampton, a lot of people would have preferred Edison in goal because, you know, uh, Ortega wasn't wasn't great. I, th- I think Ortega is probably capable of making more of those sort of camera saves, those headline saves. But in the build-up, and we saw it against Arsenal in the FA Cup, he doesn't quite have that sort of ability to pass out from the back. So every every goal kick went long. City were then sort of chasing second balls rather than, rather than being in control at the back. It's it's not for me as simple as just bringing in Ortega and having a go. Now Ortega will get a go next week in the uh, in the FA Cup. Maybe he has a good game and and changes Pep Guardiola's mind. But I, I can't see anything other than Edison being the uh, the main goalkeeper for for the rest of the season because he is so important to City and mm. they accept that he might make some mistakes. The uh, the Aston Villa goal, okay, did it? Could he have stretched his arm out a bit more? Was it a little bit, you know, weak if you like? That's I think what City fans want more. But uh, no, I, I think I'd underestimated the uh, the criticism among the fan base for for a, a player that I thought was just regarded as mm. one of the best goalkeepers in the league, and and everyone thought that. But clearly, they don't. 
Yeah, me too. I, again, I think it's a strange. Like, I'll take as you say. I think it might be a little bit of the case of kind of the, you know, the heart grows fonder with abs, heart, mm-hmm. absence makes the heart grow fonder sort of thing. Because I think you're right. Like Chelsea, amazing, really good. It's like, oh, City. I think we said on this podcast, City may have got themselves one of the best kind of backup keepers in the league here. He looks really good, and it's good to have competition. Plus, Edison, perhaps he'd gone a little complacent. I think that's a fair, fair point. And maybe dropping him for one match, an important match, whoever costly, it might be. The good message to say, listen, your, your spot's not completely secure. Mm-hmm. You need to you need to be on it all the time, as does everyone. You know, no one's spot is completely safe. But I, I do think what you're right there, the Southampton match, he was not good. He was kind of a liability at times on the ball, if I recall correctly. I couldn't actually remember the match, but I do remember, I could remember distinctly Edison, I'm sorry, Ortega kind of rushing out of his goal and it looking quite like Claudio Bravo had kind of returned to, to the club. So, you know, the grass isn't always green, I'd say. And and I think what you said there was very uh, kind of the absolutely spot on exactly what I was thinking. It's camera save, that, you know, you hero save, match winning save. You can quite easily just kind of swap it to camera save as well. Now, De Gea, as you, you pointed out there, was absolutely incredible in that game against Leicester City. Kept them in, kept United in the first half, kept United in the match then that first half. But the fact is, City rarely, if ever, concede the amount of chances United were doing in that first half. And there isn't a need as much a need as a shot stopper. I imagine if you swap the Hayer in, kind of, that's a good kind of exercise mm-hmm. as what we were saying earlier. If you swap the Hayer in Edison, I think both of them in the other teams are going to absolutely struggle. De Gea can't pass that well with his feet, awful distribution, but he's a really good shot stopper. Maybe, um, so City are not going to be able to play as well as they were and maybe he'll make some good saves, crucial, but I'd imagine they'd concede more because they completely, the way they'd play would have to change. You put Edison in that United team, yeah, maybe United press a bit higher. It'd be actually quite funny if United were miles better with Edison. But I imagine in current, in kind of how they are at the minute, with how kind of overrun they were in that first half and um, how many chances they conceded, all likelihood is Edison doesn't make the saves De Gea does. That's fair enough. But it's as I said, as I said earlier, it's just in. It's more than just the saves, I think now, and maybe you can just say, no, a goalkeeper's job is to save the goals, and you, you know. On the on the tin, that is the case, but it's so much more than that now. And City, how City play for the last six years is well five, isn't it? Since he signed, has been kind of they wouldn't have been able to do everything they've done without a goalkeeper like Edison doing what he does. And maybe he's in a rough patch. Maybe maybe will prove to cost him. Maybe he won't be able to make the big save. But as I say, I don't think there's a need for Edison to make those big saves as much because the way he kind of helps the team defend means they don't have as many chances on their goal. And I say, Forest match, there was one shot on target. It was from three yards out from a well-worked goal. It wasn't as if he made a mistake or anything. And I don't know. I, I felt, as I said there, you can, if you tell me one goalkeeper, and maybe they have in Ortega, maybe they have, I, I doubt it. But if you could tell me a keeper they can get in or can replace him with, I'll tell you one, Jamie Trafford, awesome. Bolton number one. <laughs> hopefully he doesn't make. Hopefully he. They, hopefully they don't replace him with him because I want him back at Bolton forever because he's absolutely mint. So there's your one. Other than that, I do not know. But you know, kind of moving on. It was a disappointing result for City, <laughs> as we say. Um, they remain inconsistent, and the 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 kind of the issue is the annoying thing is that they didn't take it. Kind of build on last week. Obviously a massive galvanising victory over Arsenal, and they didn't manage to take take advantage of it. And, you know, it's what Sai was talking about last week, what we was all talking about last week. That momentum, that winning streak, they're not being able to find it. And it's it, that is the worry kind of now as the Champions League's coming back, as the uh, FA Cup's coming back. We are getting into crunch time now. And if City can't kind of get a run together, there could be some issues. Yeah, well, they had the title race back in the hands. It looked like Arsenal were going to to sort of drop off a little bit. They were struggling at Aston Villa in the early kickoff. We were all watching it as City were warming up at the uh, at the City ground and it was it felt like it was going to be City's day, but Arsenal scored those those two late goals and then uh and then City but can't back it up and, and suddenly the the two points behind again and Arsenal had that game in hand. So yes, Arsenal do have to come back to the uh, to the Etihad in, in, in April I believe, but it's now out of City's hands again. I think they've got to stop talking about this this winning run. I know that's what everyone knows they've got to do, but every time you hear a player or a manager come out and say, we need to have a winning run, they can't back it up. Now, performances have probably been consistent recently, I'd say, apart from the Tottenham game. Um, they've been fairly good, so if the performances stay the same, that's what Guardiola will be looking for. But, but results-wise, I think if you focus too much on those winning runs rather than just let them happen, 
that's not the way to do it. City have got the success in recent years by going on some runs and just focusing on the next game. Suddenly, they're now talking about 10 games ten games in, in, in the future and that's not going to work. You know, look at look at what's made you successful in the past. Don't look at the end goal and then uh, and then go from there. It's it's an interesting one, but um, I think we just. Uh, I mean, from a neutral point of view, seeing seeing City and Arsenal go at it and, and change hands, it's it's very very interesting to watch. But from City's point of view, it must be frustrating to to take one step forward and and then another another back. Yeah, absolutely. It's not as if it's just us, the press and fans, talk about the runs. I think Kyle Walker's got a record saying a few times. Yeah, we need to do this run, and I say I don't know if it's going to be possible this year, but I don't think it's going to necessarily be necessary this year because it's. I feel I think we talked about last week. It could be a top sitter instead of it being the um, like the Liverpool City classics we've had in recent years, where it was. I think it's hard to call it boring because the football was so staggeringly good and the level of both teams to push each other all the way to win every match from like February or whatever it was was kind of never seen before literally um but it was a bit there was no drama in it was there there was no there was no twist there was no turns whereas this year it feels like there's going to be and we saw that um, on the day's early kickoff and I do wonder if the the, the the kind of the method of Arsenal's win the galvanising nature of it perhaps maybe had an effect on City in some cases they probably went out for the warm-ups um, with Arsenal kind of dropping points and came back to them winning but what a game it was in that early kickoff Arsenal twice going behind to Aston Villa and it certainly looked like at one point like as we kind of discussed last week that this wobble could be continuing and they needed to come back and they did so in Really great circumstances, well, kind of funny circumstances, as Jorginho shot cannoned off the bar and onto Ami Martinez's head. We we wondered um, last week if the the and you know the former Arsenal party Aston Villa could kind of conspire to to cost them, and it ended up doing the exact opposite. Um, the uh, an, a really seismic dose of karma coming Martinez's way after his um, hilarious antics uh, at the World Cup and afterwards, um, and then they they ended up winning four two. Martinez again cutting car as he went up for a corner. Um, so they're now back up front, uh, back ahead with two point lead, and it they've got the advantage now, and they still have a game in hand, of course, to come. I think later on this month against Everton, it might actually be next month um, at this point. It's next but, week. Oh, is it really? You know more than me. So that that'll be very mm-hmm. interesting. We'll see where we lie once they play Everton, I suppose, and that we'll get a much better kind of lay of the land. But it, even if they win that, it just feels more like there's going to be so many more twists and turns before the season comes out at this point. Yeah, and I think if City are not at their best, which they've not been this season, uh, especially over sort of five, ten game runs of, of form, then that probably suits City. You know, if they win the title this season, it's probably going to be their worst if, of, of the lot. But a title win is a title win and City have just if got anything, to beat better the opponent. for the fight. Well, yeah. You know exactly. what I mean? So, not in terms of quality, but yeah. to do it with such spirit, I'd find it almost a bit more admirable in a way. To win but, it when you're not at your best... The fact that City are, are still in touch after playing as they have done, and I say that in comparing them to how they have been in recent years, if, I think if you put this City side in previous seasons against the City and Liverpool side, hypothetically, they'd be f- so far back. But they're still there. They're still in there, and they they can if they can just keep in in touch with Arsenal. They're probably going to have to beat them at the Etihad now, and then uh, hope for a slip up and. And, and take advantage come the end of the season Guardiola keeps saying let's get to the last 10 8 games that's when you can probably see City you know really sort of using their experience but they've got to get to those last 10 games within touching distance yeah I think what we all want as neutrals is kind of by the time that game comes around in April for it to all be on the line for neither team yeah. to be well I'm sure City fans don't want this but <laughs> I'm not a City fan um we want both teams to be within touching distance of each other when that match comes around, and for it to be the kind of the uh, the big battle, the, um, the you know the winner takes all sort of thing that we could could see, could see it being. And yeah, you know, there's a long way to go until then, but I, I, you kind of get the feeling now that, and even you know, we can't we can't kind of keep out of mind. United are creeping up. They they did win again themselves in sort of adversity over the weekend. They're only five, three points off City, is it? And five off Arsenal. They're, they're in there they're, and they keep going the way they are. It could be a three-horse race and City fans might want to might not want to hear it, but for kind of everyone else, it, it looks set to be a really exciting end to a Premier League season, which we haven't had for a fair few years now, Like as in 
just the drama and not really knowing where where the title's going to go. Yeah, and that can only help City. I think Guardiola before the the weekend's game said there was about six or seven teams who could could still win. He obviously named City, Arsenal. He, he said United are there, Newcastle are there, and he even went as far as saying Brighton. Are, yeah, <laughs> well, well, he didn't say Fulham, but he said Brighton, and then Fulham went and beat Brighton, mm. and and also Newcastle went and lost. But he, he's he's looking behind his uh, behind his shoulder as well as in front of him. That that is for sure. No, it's certainly going to be an interesting one, but of course our attentions will kind of turn away from the Premier League this week and towards the Champions League instead because the competition got back underway last week. Uh, there's a big match tonight on Tuesday with Liverpool facing off against Real Madrid and of course on Wednesday City travel to the Bundesliga side RB Leipzig for their last 16 clash. Um, RB Leipzig won 3-0 at the weekend over Wolfsburg, so going through the game in a bit better shape and a bit more confidence than City, especially as City are without Amarit Laporte and Kevin De Bruyne who didn't train on Tuesday and haven't made the trip with the rest of the 22-man squad in in their stead. Uh, you've got a couple of youngsters in Charles and Robertson going instead. John Stone's also still not available. How, how are we thinking, Joe? Like Big losses there, Laporte and De Bruyne. Maybe, not, maybe two players who aren't exactly in the greatest of form, but big players, big leaders, intrinsic to how City play. How do they go about replacing them? Well, that's it. You, they are two players who haven't been sort of consistently in the team in the last few weeks. De Bruyne's been dropped a couple of times. Um, Laporte's been sort of out of favour a little bit and, and moved from left-back to centre-back. But they are two players who know how City play. They've, be, they've played uh, in Champions League semi-finals and finals and, and know how to get there. And, and these are the kind of games, these sort of first legs in sort of tricky, tricky games where you're expected to win, but there's no guarantees where you need your experienced players. And, and they're two, two players who probably would have been on the team sheet if, if they were available. We'll, we're recording this before Guardiola's press conference in Leipzig, so we'll find out why they are missing and City will hope it's it's not a long-term thing. If it's if it's just a precaution, then that uh, that would be better than sort of any any more long-term absences. But in in the place, I think it it lends itself. If if they weren't going to do it already, I think it lends uh, a return to a back four without Bernardo Silva in it. In terms of Nathan Ake at left back, you. You're now restricted to Diaz and Akanji at centre back, but that's not a bad pairing at all. Walker at right back, and then Bernardo can move into midfield where where Kevin De Bruyne was, or like Guardiola has done in the last two games where he's dropped Kevin De Bruyne in the two games against Tottenham. He's brought in Julian Alvarez, and he said he wants more players in the box. He wants more bodies in the box rather than people crossing it in there. So could Julian Alvarez replace De Bruyne and and maybe a similar system? That would be the only way I could see. Bernardo staying in that left back role but um, I think of all the times to have those two missing this is probably one of the better times even if you're sacrificing a bit of that experience which would have been so useful Yeah, definitely I can see Alvarez coming back in I just say I think not to make kind of sweeping generalisations, but that's exactly what I'm going to do. We kind of know that Bundesliga teams play in a certain way of, you know, Dortmund surprised us um, last year in the group stages. So, of course, it, it may, may change. They, I don't think any of us predicted how defensive they'd go and very nearly got a result out of it. Made life really hard for City. But Leipzig, as Bundesliga teams tend to do, they like to get on the ball, attack with pace, and they tend to be quite frail defensively so I can see a, a world where Alvarez comes in and you maybe you get this four maybe return to like kind of the 4-4-2 perhaps given De Bruyne is injured and you just go Rodri and Gundogan in the middle obviously Foden or Mares by the by Grealish I'd imagine start and you go Alvarez and Haaland try and kind of overload Leipzig a little bit and get them and they've got on paper some great defenders the star of the World Cup in Gavardal um, Auburn uh, David Raum was a left back City with link with I don't know if that was ever anything natural in it but they've needed a left back for years and he was one um, who's pretty good pretty talented um, he's there and Klosterman at right back they've got a decent defence a good goalkeeper so it's not like it should be easy, but they tend to kind of push up, be attacking. I can see a world where Alvarez and Haaland together, kind of working in tandem, can cause some real damage. And I do wonder, though, instead of Ake at left-back, who's done really well there, I do wonder if, if it might be a call for a tad more pace and natural kind of full-back width. And I do wonder if Rico Lewis could maybe come in to have Ake in centre-back and Diaz at right if he wants kind of uh, left-footed and right-footed there in the heart of defence. Yeah, and that's what Laporte's absence does. It means that you've probably got to play two right-footed centre-backs if you're going to use Ake as the left-back. Um, 
Lewis is is an option. He's he's not played for the last few games. Um, I mean, when he's been thrown into to any big game against any big winger, he's done very well and and rarely been caught out. And he's got players like Salah, and and he's kept them quiet. Um, I would look at Soboslai if I've said that right for uh, for Leipzig and and think he could be one of those sort of tricky ones who who gives Rico Lewis quite a tough time. Maybe Nathan Ake is just a bit more solid because I think if City come back with a draw and, and bring it to the Etihad they'd be relatively happy with that because they have the chance to win it at home they don't they don't always win these games in the first leg and having that second leg at home will help them um, so I'd, I can't see Guardiola taking too many risks and maybe Rico mm. Lewis is a bit of a risk especially when you've got a couple of your more experienced players not there well yeah I think I think the the biggest threat you see with Leipzig when you look at their team is they've got a lot of kind of good fast attackers. You look at mm-hmm. the, the two wingers who started on on Saturday. You got Timo Werner, of course, who uh, was considered kind of concerned in the past with his kind of rapid pace, even though he, he remains a bit of a loose cannon in front of goal. Obviously, as you say, I'm not even going to try and give it a go because I don't <laughs> want to butcher it worse than you did. But you've got you got the the Hungarian lad is what I'll go with Emil <laughs> Forsberg, who's, a, who's really good on the ball, and then Christopher Nkunku's back from his injury. So They've got a lot, and Andre Silva, of course, leading the line. They've got a lot of good attacking pedigree there. I, I, I agree with you. I think we can all agree, if, if nothing else, that he surprised us with Bernardo playing left-back at the weekend. I I, I, wager, I don't think we, we kind of saw it after the Arsenal match, after it was changed. But it was different against Forest when they had more possession. I can imagine City will have most of the possession in this game as well, but the, the, the danger of Leipzig on the counter is so much more potent than Forrest and Forrest did City um, kind of with a really nice move so you don't want to leave yourself exposed to Leipzig's most promising area I'd wager so you'd want to go back to basics and at least have a solid back four of defenders who know you know intrinsically I've said that word a few times in this podcast maybe it's the, the theme of the show but you know knowing the bones how to defend and isn't winging it to an extent like Bernardo yeah, that's why I, I can see a back four with Ake. I, I, I just think the control in that game is is what Guardiola will will want, and uh, the fact that he doesn't need to win it in this in this this uh, this first visit, I think that will play his part. And yes, City have been playing well, but the form's been a bit up and down. He doesn't want to lose this game. Let's say it's. I think it would be far far much more of a worry if City were to go behind because then the pressure's on again and all sorts of questions get asked. If, if they can get a draw or a tight win, then I think they'd be they'd be delighted, I think. Well, it's set to be an absolutely um, really entertaining, um, interesting match on Wednesday, of course. And we'll be back later on this week, no doubt, to talk all about it on the Talking City podcast, of course. But for now, that is the end of this week's episode. If you want to get all the latest news and expert analysis on the game and all the build-up and fallout, of course you know where to go. It's manchestereveningnews.co.uk forward slash Manchester City. You can get all the latest news on our Twitter feed, at ManCityMEN, and over on Facebook as well, of course, as well, at ManchesterEveningNews.co.uk. Man City but of course that is the end of today's episode everyone so thank you very much for listening we'll be back later on next week but until then it's goodbye for now ta-ra ta-ra